Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open up with me to, to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, and as you are turning there, uh, parents, as you, as you teach and raise your children, you, you slowly amass a, a long list of, of do's and don'ts for them. Am I right? And I could probably ask your children what exactly those are. Uh, but some of them may be uh, or may sound like this. So, uh, don't chew gum with your mouth open. Uh, or don't talk to strangers. Uh, you, can, you can look both ways uh, before you cross the street or you can get run over. Right? Those, those are your two options. Uh, you can make your bed every morning. Uh, be sure to wear your jacket. And then also, uh, don't forget your jacket anywhere. Uh, read your Bible and pray. Uh, don't, don't lie or steal or, or make friends with people who, who do those things. Uh, or be safe. Uh, there are, there's probably a, an endless list of those specific do's and don'ts that your parents uh, have, have uh, given to you uh, as, as children or you have been instructed by uh, your parents. Uh, and, and sometimes it's easy for, for children to rationalize their way out of one or two of those specific commands, right? Uh, you can, a parent can ask uh, the child, so, so why did you do that? Well, well, you didn't say that I couldn't do that. You know, they, they speak in the hypothetical unless you gave them specific directions on everything that they can or cannot do. They're going to take uh, some leeway. Uh, and, uh, and sometimes what's needed is not as much uh, these, these small specific commands, but, but something that, that, that's bigger and broader uh, and encompasses a lot. Uh, one of my seminary professors shared uh, what he did in, in raising his sons uh, and what he would do before they would go outside to play is, is he, they would repeat this acronym, uh, MFH, which stood for Maintain the Family Honor. Okay, as, as they were going outside, they had one big, uh, broad principle to follow. Uh, they weren't supposed to do anything that would uh, dishonor their family. Uh, and as they got older, uh, that changed to Maintain the Father's Honor. Uh, and, and what he was doing was he was teaching his boys to have, have an awareness of God's honor and how it is reflected in their conduct. He taught them about the honor of God, and, and the biggest thing they should be concerned with is God's honor. And then when you're concerned about that, you understand a lot of other things that you should or should not do uh, along the way. Uh, and, and those specific instructions as we come to Scripture can be very helpful, but then there's also a time for God to give us big overarching uh, principles, big overarching commands that are going to be very broad and are going to encompass quite a bit. Uh, and that's what, we, that's what we come to here as we look at Colossians 3.17. Uh, that's the type of command that Paul is going to issue uh, in that verse. Uh, and uh, Paul begins chapter 3 uh, in verse 1 with similar commands, two broad commands, Look at me, chapter 3, verse 1, he says, if then, you seek, uh, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. So Paul begins this, this section with two overarching commands. Seek Christ and think Christ, in essence. Uh, and then in verses 5 through 16, he's going to give specific commands. 
Uh, he's going to tell them, hey, here's the specifics of what that looks like. How do, you, how do you seek Christ? How do you think Christ? Well, let's continue reading. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. He gave the, the specifics, what they need to, to put off, what they need to put on. And then he's going to conclude this section with this verse, verse 17. He says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What, what Paul is going to be issuing here to the Colossians is this uh, this call to submit their entire lives to Christ. Whatever they do, in everything that they do, they are to do it in the name of Christ. And that command is given for us as well. We are called to that same standard. And as we'll see this morning, we must evaluate everything we do and say in light of this verse, in light of what this is calling us to. We are called to submit to the Lordship of Christ and to give ourselves to Him without any reservation. Without many, any compartmentalization of our life, we are to give everything to him. But what does that look like? Right? What does that look like to, to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus? Well, we will see this morning, this is, a, this is a, a, a broad command, and it's a high calling. It's a high task that we face. And it involves worshiping Jesus with all of our being, our, our head, our hands, and our hearts. Uh, and what we'll see is that this command is going to have implications for the attitude that we need to, to put on, the, the action that we need to uh, conduct ourselves with, uh, and then the affection that we need to, that, to accompany that as we, as we do everything. But, but let's look first at uh, the attitude. Now, you must be willing to submit every area of your life to Christ's lordship. This is seen at the beginning of the verse. He says, uh, and whatever you do, in word or deed. Uh, and, and the wording here, that, that word whatever, right? Uh, it's a single word in our English translations, but in the Greek it's actually four words. Uh, and, and it's uh, words kind of stacked upon words to give an emphasis of uh, everything that is anything. And if, if whatever you're doing, uh, whatever you find yourself doing, if, it, if it's anything at all, 
there's this hypothetical sense that, that encapsulates this of no matter what you're doing, it doesn't matter what it is or what it could be, uh, in word or in deed, uh, we are to do it in the name of Christ. And the, that combination of those two words of in word or deed uh, just encapsulates anything that you could do in life uh, whatsoever. Uh, it's used uh, in Luke 24, 19, uh, uh, as Jesus is on the road to Emmaus, and he said to the two disciples that are walking with him, he says, what things? And they said uh, to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Of uh, he's described, These two disciples, unknowingly speaking to Jesus about Jesus, are saying, yeah, this, this Jesus person was mighty in deed and in word, and everything that he did he was amazing. Uh, and now what Paul is commanding us to do, if, no matter what we are doing, no matter what we're doing in life, uh, whether it's speaking to somebody else or whether it's performing an action, whatever we find ourselves doing, we are to, to do that action, to, to perform that speech in a way that honors and glorifies God. One pastor said, clearly God intends that worship should touch all of life and all of life should become worship. And the Apostle Paul cast the command of this net so far that there's nothing that's not ensnared in it. Uh, whatever you find yourself doing or saying at any given moment on any given day, submit that word or those actions to the Lordship of Christ. Right? And it, it's easy to say that, but is that easy to, to follow? No, that, that's really difficult. And if we're, we're honest, we'll say, hey, we all struggle to this uh, at some level or another. Uh, we always... Uh, we, we can never do this perfectly, and sometimes, again, if we're honest, we don't want to, right? We don't want to submit every area of our lives to Christ at times. Uh, and sometimes we try and bargain with God. Uh, we try and negotiate uh, with him on our level of obedience. Uh, similar to what's happening uh, in Washington these last couple of weeks, the, uh, the, the lawmakers in Congress are trying to come to a compromise, right? The, uh, the Republicans want... Uh, Something and the Democrats want something, but uh, if if they're going to pass this bill, uh, both of them have to give. They say, okay, I'll give a little bit of this, you give a little bit of that, uh, and then we'll, we'll vote and we will agree. But uh, compromise is a normal part of American politics, but it can't be a part of our obedience to God. Now we we don't get to negotiate because uh, first and and foremost. We can't approach God as if he's an equal. He's not a peer. He is above us. He is greater uh, than we are. So we can't, we can't try and negotiate with him. And, and sometimes what do our negotiations with God sound like? We, 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 can, we can try and compartmentalize, chop up our lives, and say, Lord, I'll, I'll give you this part, but I'll keep this part to myself. Uh, say, I'll give you my time at church, but God, don't ask me to give up my favorite hobby. Or maybe, God, I'll, I'll commit not to swear or sin at work, but in, in return, you don't get to say, have any say on what goes on in my home. Or I'll, I'll commit to reading my Bible, but then I'll, I'll watch whatever I want on any screen that I want, whenever I want. Or God, I will obey my parents and you when I'm at home, but I'll do whatever I want at school. Or I'll give money to the church, but don't ask me to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Jesus. That, that's often how we, how we try and negotiate with God. But can we really do that? Has anyone ever been successful on negotiating their obedience level to God? 
Say, God, can you lower your standard just a little bit so that I can attain to it? No, that's the point. We can't attain to it, and that's why we need Christ. That's why we need to place our faith in him, not in ourselves to, uh, to obey him perfectly. We'll never be able to do that. But, and, we, and we can never approach God as if he is an equal, or like I said, or, or a peer that we can come and negotiate with. Christ is Lord. And understand that we don't make Christ Lord of our life. He already is. We just submit to his lordship in everything. Uh, that's what we are called to do. And, but we have to be genuinely convinced of this in our hearts, in our minds. And do we truly believe uh, that, we, that we must stop trying to negotiate with God and just begin to submit that in whatever you're doing, in word or deed, you are called to do it in Christ's name under his lordship. All of this, uh, if we're going to obey this verse, we have to begin in our minds. You're never going to do everything in the name of Christ if you're not convinced that that's what you should do. That's where this submission comes in of are you willing to submit every area of your life to Christ? My mom used to accuse me of having selective hearing, uh, that I would hear uh, what I want or you know, when I would want to hear it, only little parts. The parts that I would be willing to obey, those are generally what I would be willing to listen to. Uh, but oftentimes we, we bring that same kind of selective hearing to Scripture. Right? We say, Lord, I don't really want to hear that, so I'm going to forget about that. Or I won't read that part of the Bible. Uh, and we can't have that. Now, we need to be convinced that we are called to submit every, every part of our life to Christ, that there is no part, portion of your life that is outside of the jurisdiction of Jesus. You can't say, Jesus, you don't have power, you don't have input, you don't have the right to, to tell me what to do in that area. So we must search our hearts, we must search our life to, to see if there's any attitude, if there's any area in our lives that we have not given over to Christ, where we've said, no, you, you can't touch that. And we, and we have, to, we have to repent. We have to, to yield it to him, and that begins by saying, confessing to him, saying, Lord, I, I have held this back from you, and I need to give it all to you. Whatever I do, I'm to do in the name of Christ. Uh, and beyond simply being convinced of Christ's lordship in our minds, we have to then begin to conduct our lives accordingly, uh, which is that second uh, point that you see on your paper. It's not just an attitude. There is an action that is to accompany that attitude, that you must be willing to conduct every area of your life in Christ's name. So it's more than just, yes, I know I should do that, but it's now saying, okay, I am going to do that. Now, this is what I understand I need to do, and now I'm going to take the steps in order to do that. Uh, and Paul just says, uh, that middle portion of the verse, he says, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And that everything points back to, uh, again, those words stacked upon words to create this emphasis of anything and everything that you do in your life, you are called to do it in the name of Christ. But what does that mean uh, to do everything or to do anything in Jesus' name. One pastor said this, he says, to do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus then does not mean simply to utter Jesus' name, but to act always in concert with the nature and character of our Lord. So it's not just saying, you know, adding Jesus to whatever you're doing or saying, yes, I'll, I'll do that in Jesus' name. 
uh, but it, it's acting in concert with who he is and what he has proclaimed uh, that we should do. Another pastor says this, he says, It is to do whatever we do or say whatever we say for the furtherance of his established purposes. It is also to do it for his glory, that he might be the one noticed and remembered in our words and actions. See, everything that we do in life should be an act of worship. Every single choice that we make is, is a decision based upon the desires of our heart and uh, what we are called to here is to worship at all times. You know, verses 15 and 16, Paul's addressing the church and saying, hey, here's how you should conduct your, your corporate worship services. And now he's expanding what he's saying. In essence, your worship should be at all times and in everything that you do, not just here on Sunday mornings for an hour and a half as we gather together. But all of life should be worship. Uh, and this was, this was revolutionary during the, the time of uh, the Reformation because there was a, uh, an idea that only uh, priests and only uh, those who had you know, gone away to a monastery were, were holy and could glorify God. And when the Reformers began to read Scripture and study it, uh, they began to understand that every single person could glorify God. Every single person could, could do their work, whatever it was, to uh, his honor, to his glory, to exalt God. It, does, it wasn't only uh, the priests who could live and exalt God. Uh, and that, that this is huge. Whatever you do, whatever your occupation, whatever your calling in life, uh, you can honor and glorify God right where you are. And God wants to use you right where you are. Uh, you don't have to go and be a pastor or a missionary in a foreign land in order to glorify God. You, you can be used right where you are, uh, and this is a big implication of our text, that whatever it is you are called to do in life, do it for God. Uh, there was uh, an English reformer named Hugh Latimer who ministered during the 1500s, and, and he rejected this notion that only vocational ministry was pleasing to God, kind of as I've just said. He rejected that, it's, that only, only priests or pastors could glorify God. And he said this. He says, This is a wonderful thing that the Savior of the world and the King above kings was not ashamed to labor. Yea, and to use so simple an occupation. Here he did sanctify all manner of occupations, exhorting and teaching, as with this example, that every man to follow... Uh, and keep the state whereunto God hath called him. So what he's looking at, what did Jesus do before he started his ministry? For years, what did he do? What was his occupation? A carpenter. He's saying, look at what the Lord Jesus did. And, and did Jesus do that to the glory and praise of God the Father? Absolutely. Jesus obeyed in every single way, perfectly. And so Hugh Latimer's looking at that and saying, look, then, then that occupation, whether it would be a carpenter or anything else, we are able to glorify God in our work in our day-to-day -day efforts we can do uh, and perform them for his glory and for his name now that's one big implication of this verse but uh, also i want to clear up a misunderstanding on this verse because oftentimes this verse uh, is is cited and just as a uh, in a way that that communicates of if i just add a little bit of jesus to everything that i'm doing then i'm fulfilling this verse i'm doing what this verse says but uh, and our, our typical mindset is that, so we say, hey, here's something that I want to do, uh, and you know, you fill in the blank, whatever that may be, uh, and then say, well, let me figure out how to put Jesus into that. But I don't think that, that's what this verse is saying. I think our mindset should really be, 
Jesus, should I do this? Is this according to your character? Is this according to your name? Can this be done in your name? See, sometimes we're doing things that we should never do, and, and doing it thinking that we're glorifying God. There, there's people in Scripture who think they're doing all of these things. Matthew 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus says, Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Uh, and the people come up to him, and they mention all of these things that they're doing, and Jesus says, Well, I didn't know you. So I think that oftentimes we skip that first question of, Jesus, should I do this? Is this what you would have me to do? Uh, and uh, if it's possible to, to do this in your name, how should I go about doing this? That's oftentimes a, a question that we skip over. We just say, well, I'll, I'll, I want to do this, and now I'll bring Jesus into it. Like, hey, that, that can be good, but we can't skip that fundamental question of, should I do this? And to do everything in Jesus' name means that we align and conform ourselves to him and his will. But oftentimes, what do, we, what do we like to do? We like to try and take Jesus and conform him to ourselves and our will. We like to conform Jesus to, to fit into our purposes and our plans. Well, in one of those options, Jesus is directing us, and in the other one, we are directing Jesus. In one of those options, Jesus is like the GPS of our life, mapping out where we're supposed to go and then helping us to get there. Uh, and in the other one, he is a bumper sticker on the back of the vehicle. And we're just, we're just kind of carrying him along wherever we go. And he really has no say on where we're going or what we're doing. And our confession as a believer, as a follower of Christ, should be the confession that the Apostle Paul makes in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That was Paul's confession. He, he wasn't saying, uh, hey, Jesus has, has saved me and he died to save me, uh, and now I'm going to do everything in his name. I have a little Jesus patch sewn onto my tunic, uh, and wherever I go, I'll, I'll mention him at, kind of along as I'm making tents. That wasn't what the Apostle Paul intended. That's not what he's saying. No, the Apostle Paul was saying that the life that he now lived, he lived for Jesus. Jesus was not an, an add-on to the, to the life of the Apostle Paul. And Jesus is not supposed to be an add-on to our lives either. We are called to completely submit to Christ's lordship and then allow him to, to guide us, to direct us, to instruct us. Uh, in every way, shape, and form. Everything that we do in life must be guided by Christ. And we must believe wholeheartedly that, that this is what we are called to do. Uh, not to add Jesus to our life, but to make Jesus our life. Is that not what we read in Colossians 3? Look back at verse 4. Paul says, when Christ, and then he, just this little statement, and, and it's parenthetical, you could continue reading without it, when Christ appears. But he says, when Christ who is your life? That, that is what Christ is intended to be. Christ died for your sins so that you could live now for him. He paid the penalty for your sins so that you could be forgiven and made righteous in the eyes of a holy God. And by faith in Christ, your sins can be washed away. And now what Jesus is calling you to do is say, Hey, I died for you, now live for him. And we are called to not live part-time for him, 
but we are to place Jesus on the throne of our hearts at all times. He's not a part-time king. He's always king. He's always Lord. And that's how we need to treat him. And, and we must begin to seek and welcome his will, to desire his will more than we desire our own. Isn't that what Jesus said to his disciples when he taught them how to pray? The Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, uh, verse 10, he says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How should, our, our prayer should be for the Lord's will to be done in our life, in, our, in the world around us, in, in everything, uh, and uh, especially within our hearts. So, so not trying to, to get Jesus to, to you know, check off and approve of our will, but to submit to his. That's, that's what it really looks like to do everything in the name of Christ. And as we, as we pray and ask God to, to transform our hearts so that we begin to value his will and his desires for our lives more than we desire our own will and our own passions, uh, as we pray for God to transform our hearts, then we need to begin to, to act on it. Uh, then we must begin to live for Christ. When our entire lives are dedicated to him, we are most assuredly doing everything in his name. You don't, you don't have to wonder if, if you're doing everything in Jesus' name, if, if your sole focus in life is to, to live for him. But when we've negotiated uh, partial obedience, when we're, when we're choosing the, the if or when, uh, we will submit to his lordship. And if we will conduct ourselves in his name, uh, then we are most assuredly living for ourselves. If we're deciding when and where we'll, we'll obey, we're not living for him. We're not doing everything in his name. We're doing everything in, in our name. That, that's, the, that's the reality. Submission to Christ is to be our attitude. Working in his name is to be our action. And then while we do those things, our affection is to be thanksgiving. Look with me at the end of verse 17. It says, Giving thanks to God the Father through him. And that the idea is that whatever it is you're doing at, at any given moment, at any given time, you should also be able to do what? To give thanks to God the Father through Jesus Christ. And, and that's a good indicator of, hey, if you should be doing something, right? Well, can I give thanks to God in the middle of this? Uh, and just that, that reality of uh, it, it's, a, it's a good razor to cut things out of our lives. And we are to be giving thanks continually Habitually, not, not a one-time action, but an ongoing way of life. Uh, and it connects to, to what's previously. Uh, everything that we're doing, giving thanks for. And we are to give thanks to God the Father, not only because of, of Jesus, but through Jesus. Right? He, he doesn't say just thinking about uh, what Jesus has done. Yes, we can give thanks to God for what Jesus has accomplished in our lives, but also we do it through him. Uh, understanding that, that nobody... Nobody comes to God. We can't get to God the Father unless we go and approach him through Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, Christ has opened the way for us to get to the Father, and it's through him. John, John 10, 7 says that Jesus says, I am the door. Well, that, Jesus is the one who, who opens the way. We have to, to enter through him to get to God, and, and through him we give thanks. Jesus is the one that we are to give thanks through, and 
1 Thessalonians 5.18 kind of echoes this same idea. It says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God uh, in Christ Jesus for you. Well, uh, but how do we do that tangibly? How do we give thanks in in every circumstance? How do we give thanks uh, no matter what we are doing? Uh, It's only possible when we've done the the first two things that we saw in this verse. It's only possible when we have put on uh, that that attitude of submission uh, and then we are beginning to to act in faith. Uh, Turn over with me to, to Acts chapter 16. This is a, a great example, I think, of what it looks like to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. See, Paul and Silas had come to a city named Philippi, and they had been falsely accused and then placed in jail. And in verse 25, we see that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So think about that. How would you how would you feel if you had been falsely imprisoned, uh, and and you're you're there in a nice uh, first century uh, Roman jail cell? Uh, it's not going to be the, the most comfortable place in the world, right? But what are they doing? They are they are singing, and and praising God for how He's working, for what He's doing. Now, what's the only way that they could do that if they're not as concerned about their will, but they're concerned about what? Glorifying God, doing everything in the name of Christ. Well, let's keep reading. So, and suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. So, if I was in Paul's sandals here, I would be really excited, and I would be really out of there. Uh, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't we all do that? Of, hey, the Lord, look, the Lord has freed me. Look, look at all of these things that he's done. Praise the Lord, now I'm gone. Uh, but, but what do they do? Again, they're not living for themselves. They're doing everything in the name of Christ. Verse 27, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself. For we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Think about that. Look what, look what happens when we don't live for ourselves, but we live uh, for Christ's purposes. Right? That's our dream, right? We just wish that our co-workers or our fellow students would just come up and be say, what must I do to be saved? You're like, that's t-ball evangelism. I can hit that. Right? I, I can knock that out of the park. Uh, but, but that doesn't necessarily happen all of the time. Uh, but, but this reality, you see Paul, what Paul is writing and calling the Colossians to, he's living out, isn't he? Say, hey, I'll be in jail. It's a great, my, my voice is really good at midnight. I love to sing in jail. The, the acoustics of the room, of the cell, it just makes my, my hymns of praise sound so great to everybody around. Paul, Paul and Silas, they're living for Christ. They're, they're doing everything they do in Christ's name, and they're not doing anything apart from, hey, God, should I do this? Okay, there was an earthquake. I could be free. Lord, do you want me to go free? Is there some other purpose that you have for me here? How are you going to use this in your plan uh, and according to your will? That's, that's what I see here in, in Acts 16. 
This is, this is a great example of what it looks like to do everything in, in the name of Christ. And, and this is how we need to begin to process, to, to ask ourselves those questions of not just, Lord, how, how do I fit Jesus into what I want to do, but, Lord, what do you want me to do? Is this what you would have me do? And if this is what you would have me do, how do I do it in a way that it is in your name, that it is in accordance with your character, that as I, as I do this, I'm doing it in the same way that Jesus would? Right? That, that's a, a popular saying, right? WWJD. What does that stand for? What would Jesus do? Right? We always ask it, but the reality uh, we sometimes miss of, would Jesus do this? Uh, and then also we forget, hey, what did Jesus do? Uh, and we can look back at his life for example and for instructions. And, and we need to, to understand that reality, that we need to look to Christ uh, and, and begin to submit to him. We have to be convinced of that first. Then we need to begin to act on it. And all the while, our affection for God will be transformed. Uh, as, we are, uh, as our attitudes, actions, and affections for Christ are transformed, we begin to, uh, to do everything in his name, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Uh, that puts us in a joyful place. Uh, and that is what is intended to be. Submitting to Christ should be a joyful thing, not, uh, not, a, not a wearisome task. Jesus says that his burden is easy and his yoke is light. It's, it's not going to be, hey, if I, if I follow Jesus in everything, that's not going to be any fun. I'm going to be miserable. The world around me uh, may not like me, all these things. Well, well yeah, that's true. But the, you'll be going the opposite direction from the world. So you're naturally going to bump into everybody else. But, but the reality is that, that Jesus' way, what he is calling us to, is by far infinitely greater than what the world wants us to do. It should be a joyful thing in our hearts and in our souls to live under the lordship of Jesus. And, and this morning, we've seen this, this singular overarching command, and, and that addresses our, our attitudes, actions, affections. And sometimes we can convince ourselves that, that we have kept all of these little specific commands, right? Oh, I've kept that. I've, I've done that. I need, I'm doing all I need to do. And, and these big overarching commands will hit us in the gut uh, and will convict us. I, still, the most convicting verse to me is, is in James, I think it's verse, chapter 4, verse 17. To him who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. If I know what I should do and I don't do it, it's sin. And, and what we see is another overarching command like this. And this isn't the first time in Scripture that we've seen these overarching commands. Uh, and, and we can see how people can respond to these. Turn, turn with me over to Matthew. Matthew chapter 19. See, Jesus had a conversation with somebody who thought he had kept all of these smaller commands. And so Jesus, in order to help him see the true spiritual state of his soul, he gave him a big, broad command. A command that that man understood that he was not willing to follow. Look with me, Matthew 19, beginning in verse 16. Jesus has a conversation with a rich young man. Matthew writes, And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Now, and what Jesus is saying here, 
Uh, he, he's trying to help this young man see that there is no way for him to earn his way to heaven. Jesus has already made a statement. How many are there who is, who is good? One. There's one good, and who is, he, who is Jesus speaking of? God. But the young man didn't understand that. So Jesus says, all right, yeah, so keep the commandments. And then the young man, he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, well, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? So now the reality is, has that young man kept all of those commandments? And what other ones, more, more importantly, has he forgotten? What are the other parts of the Ten Commandments? What's the first one? You shall love the Lord your God uh, and have no other gods before him. The first and second commandments. And so Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. So Jesus says, all right, you think, you've, you think you've done all of those specifics. Let me give you a bigger, broader principle that will help you see that you're, you're not really following God. And the young man had a decision to make, right? He could follow and obey Jesus, uh, or he could go and, and do his own thing. And ultimately, verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. What did that young man choose? The young man had a, had a compartmentalized life. Jesus, I'll keep all of your commands that I can trick myself into thinking that I've obeyed. But don't touch my wealth. You can't touch it. But what did Jesus say? I'm going to get it. Okay, so you want to follow me? Just, just give, every, give away everything that you have. See, Jesus doesn't allow for compartmentalization. Christ is Lord and wants us to submit to him. And so we have this, this choice, this decision. Am I, am I going to want to compartmentalize my life and, and negotiate with God on, on what I am willing to obey him on? And I'll obey him in some areas but not in others. Or are we going to say, I am willing to submit everything to Christ? And oftentimes we, we read this story about the rich young man and we remove it from its context because the story continues. Let's keep reading. Verse 23. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter, and we've got to love Peter, right? Because if, if you're a disciple of Christ, you see this young man come up uh, and say, Hey, I've kept these commandments, what do I need to do? And Jesus says, All right, well, just sell everything you have and just come follow me, uh, and you'll have life. And you see the young man walk away. In Peter's mind, he's immediately thinking, So this young man wasn't willing to follow Jesus, but Peter, he's like, Well, well I have. I've done that. I've, I've left my father's business. I've, I've left uh, my, my previous life behind, and I'm following Christ. So Peter says this. Verse 27, pers- Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? 
Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life, but many who are first will be last and the last first. See, Jesus says to Peter, yes, you, the twelve, you will be greatly rewarded. What's the reward for the apostles? They get to sit and judge Israel. What's our reward? Now, if we do what, what Colossians 3.17 says, if we are willing to do everything in the name of Christ, what is in store for us in heaven? Hundredfold. Hundredfold reward. When we begin to see uh, the, the weight of our heavenly reward and compare it to what we have here, it's far easier to say, yes, well, I, I, I'm much more willing now to do everything in the name of Jesus because I understand and value rightly heavenly rewards more than these earthly joys and earthly pleasures. That's what we need to keep in mind because is it easy to do everything in the name of Jesus? And it's not, it's not fun. Uh, it's not good that we're going to miss out on some things in this world and in this life, but ultimately uh, sin is always pleasurable for a time. It always has this reward for a time, but then it's going to be bitter. Then it's going to be ugly. Then it's going to be miserable. And Jesus is trying to get us to think heavenward. And we all have uh, a choice to make this morning. We're presented kind of with this, this same decision that the rich young ruler had. Am I willing to, to yield everything to Christ? And if I'm not, am I going to go away grieved? Am I going to go away saddened because there's, there's parts of me that I don't want to submit to Jesus? And, and we have to, to wrestle with it. And it's not a decision that you make one time and then you're done. It's a decision that we make every moment of every day. Luke 9.23, Jesus said to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. This is a decision that we need to to make on a continual basis. Am I going to follow Jesus or am I not? Am I going to give everything to him? Am I going to live for him, or am I going to live for myself? Am I going to do everything in his name, or some things in his name? That's the decision we have to make. And my prayer, my heart would be that you would begin to see the joy, the blessing, and the heavenly reward that we will receive for making Christ our life, making Christ our everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you, you are our creator. You are Lord, uh, the sovereign one. You are the one who is in complete control. And the book of Acts says that you have made Jesus Lord and Christ of everything. Lord, we confess that we, that we struggle that we are imperfect in our submission to Christ's lordship over our lives. That there are times when we, when we yield, when we submit. There are times when we don't. Lord, I pray that you would transform our hearts, that you would stir our affections, that you would help us 
to see that we need to submit to Christ in everything. And Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us, that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit and enable us to begin to do whatever we do, in word or in deed, that we would do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, our precious Savior, the one who has given his life for us, the one who has saved us, the one who has redeemed us, transferred us out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of you, your kingdom, Lord, the kingdom of heaven. Lord, help us to begin to value heavenly rewards. Help us to begin to to rightly assess the things of this world and see that they pale in comparison to what you have laid up for us. So help us to be faithful. Help us to be wise in what we do and what we say, and may we do it all in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who died.